Turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16. We're going to continue our study on walking in the wilderness or through the wilderness of sin. Today we're going to be talking about bread from heaven, bread from heaven. If you don't have a Bible, be grabbing one from the seat rack in front of you, and you can turn to page 106, 106. And so uh, we'll be in, in the Bible on page 106, and uh, and so... We're looking forward to all that God has for us. As, as you're turning there, uh, I just let the sound booth know. Do you guys have the PowerPoint up there? Working on it? Okay, good. And so uh, as you're turning there to page 106, uh, if you have one of the HBF Bibles on my page, it's actually 97, so if you have an Oxford wide margin, but uh, be looking to Exodus chapter 16. Um, we're going to look at the text this morning as we consider all that the children of Israel have gone through. Last week we saw that the children of Israel moved from celebration to consternation to a great place of provision, right, in Elam. And uh, it was a literal oasis in a dry and desert land with 70 palm trees and 12 wells of water. Uh, and it was provided by God for the children of Israel after that experience they had in Marah where God made the bitter water sweet. Uh, and so he moves them. Uh, through the wilderness to a place called sin, um, and uh, not to be confused with the sin of our flesh. This was actually an area uh, in Sinai on the edge there, and, a, and, a, and it is associated with a city uh, as well. And so uh, they are between Sinai, Mount Sinai, and, um, and Elam, and there's this place called sin. And that's where we pick up this morning in Exodus chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 1, Exodus 16 and verse 1. The Bible says, and they took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died uh, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots. And when we did and when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, uh, we're all acquainted with times of murmuring, times of uh, discontentment, times when we are not happy with our expectations when they're not met. And Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we look at this passage that you would open up our eyes and give us lessons that we can learn from the longings of our heart. So we can understand your love for us. We thank you so much for your great love. As James reminded us, your forgiveness and your grace to us. We thank, we're thankful for the opportunity to sing praises to your name. To honor those whom honor is due. And to, to love God and to love people. Lord, thank you for giving us a heart uh, that you have. Thank you for giving us a mind that we have, Lord, that is from you. Lord, this mind which was also in Christ. We pray, God, that you'd open up our minds and our hearts this morning and teach us all things whatsoever you have said to us. And, and Lord, by your grace, may we be obedient. May we learn from these examples and in samples uh, for your glory, for your honor. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated because you are. All right. So so we can see it didn't take long uh, for the children of Israel to go from a place of provision back uh, to a place of consternation. So what's worse is they murmur against Moses and they mock their own salvation uh, by asserting God led them out to become victimized instead of victorious. So it's not just a, it's not just like they're upset. They're they're going hard after the character of God uh, through Moses. And so uh, there are many lessons that God has for us this morning that are practical uh, to each one of us. And I suspect many of us can relate to having unmet expectations and uh, to turning deliverance into defiance uh, through murmuring against God. But like the children of Israel, we would never accuse God directly. I mean, we're not that dumb. Uh, So instead, they take it out on those who represent God and his authority. Uh, And, of course, that's Moses and Aaron in this case. So if you're a child, child, um, you know, it could be your parents. Uh, When things don't go your way, you may get mad at your parents uh, because they are there in Christ's stead uh, to, to cover you. Uh, at work, it may be your boss, right? In, in this, uh, in the, in the United States, it could be a politician. But there, there's people that we like to, um, accuse, to murmur, right? Uh, those in authority. It could be your husband. It could be a police officer. It could be the president. It could even be the preacher. And so, uh, it happens. So we've all been there. 
this guy included. Uh, but we cannot afford to stay there uh, because the consequences of not walking by faith grow increasingly difficult as Israel journeys toward the promised land because they're going somewhere. One of the reasons you can't allow these things to sidetrack you is God is taking you somewhere. It is a promised land. And these things hinder the forward progress of what God is trying to accomplish. And so it's so important that we understand that God has taken us to a promised land. Ultimately, we know the solution is the bread from heaven, manna, a picture and a type of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'll give you that right at the beginning. However, we are often like Israel in our immature faith and wonder how bad circumstances can possibly happen to us. Uh, right now, as I'm reading through the book of Job, I'm, I'm reminded of, 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 uh, of how important it is for us not to accuse. Uh, I, I mean, after all, uh, aren't we God's people? I mean, uh, and, and we are. Haven't we been delivered? Yes, we have. So woe is me when things don't go the way I expect it to go. Right? And that's kind of what happens. That, that switch gets flipped, and we can go negative in a hurry. So... It must mean that there's a problem with God's provision because there's certainly not a problem with our faith. It couldn't be that God could be stretching us and growing us in faith. And so really what we have is a showdown between God's character and our character. And if we know anything about God, we should understand that his character is perfect and ours is not. And don't assume that he hates you because he loves you and he wants to grow you. He wants to stretch you. So as we consider the bread from heaven this morning, our first point of study is, is God allows longing in our lives. It's very clear from what we just read already. God allowed that longing in the lives of the nation of Israel. In those first three verses that we read, first thing that we see is God directed Israel's journey from a place of provision to a place of desolation. He's the one who led them to a point where they were hungry and they were in the wilderness of Sinai. Wilderness meaning a desert. It was a desert place, deserted of, of things that they wanted, like ready food. God is the one who said, oh, there's this great oasis up here in Elam. Uh, we went through this trauma at, at Mara. Uh, I provided for you uh, sweet water from bitter. Uh, and so now I'm going to let you go up here to Elam, take a rest. Right? They get at least 30 plus days. They get a month off. That's not a bad deal. Uh, and uh, they just, you know, so God's gracious. He's kind. He's gentle. He takes in there's 70 palm trees. There's 12 wells, one for each tribe of the nation of Israel. You know, 70. We talked about the number of of, uh, of uh, patriarchs that entered in, uh, people that followed the patriarchs into the promised land. 70 comes out in a multitude. Literally, probably two million people come out uh, these 400 years later. And so God has blessed them. He has multiplied them. He has delivered them. Oh, yeah, they had some bitter water. He made that sweet. He delivers them to an oasis. So, man, from here on out, it should just be blue skies, right? And so they're moving at God's command. They're following the man, Moses, and Aaron, his brother, the priest. And they go down to this location, and they find out it doesn't have what they want, which is food. They're hungry, just like you'll be by the time this message is over. And God directed them there, right? So God's, God, God directs Israel's journey from a place of provision to a place of desolation. So this caused them to go from satisfaction at Elam to consternation once again in the wilderness of sin. So Elam, just a little background on Elam, is introduced here. Uh, it was introduced in Exodus 15:27. We saw it last week as that oasis that I talked about. And there, there was a welcome rest right after traveling uh, that distance. So God directs Israel to travel from Elam to the wilderness of sin. And this location is given as between Sinai and Elam. So the timing of arrival is given as the 15th day of the second month after departing from Egypt. So when we, uh, we can calculate that out, it's the 45th day after, after the exodus or the 42nd day after arriving at Marah. So sin is a town mentioned six times in the Bible. The first mention of, of the city of sin um, is not to be confused with Las Vegas, is Exodus 16.1. It's the wilderness of sin named after the city. It's interesting that our Las Vegas, the city of sin, is also located in the desert, but I, maybe God just has a sense of humor. But um, it's easy to find the full mention of this word, by the way. If you study it all out, you'll see that uh, it's only mentioned six times. And this is, by the way, one of those words in English that you will not discern a difference between unless you, um, unless you look at the context. Uh, because it's spelled S-I-N and it's pronounced sin. 
It might be signed, but if it is, I don't know that. So, um, so, uh, so I, I looked it up. So you had to find the Hebrew word. You find it four times, but you can find it without the, the, the concordance if you just look at the context. It's four mentions. Um, Exodus 17, 1 here, as we see, is the first mention. Uh, and then you'll find it again, or you find it here, I'm sorry, in Exodus 16, 1, and then Exodus 17, 1. So we'll look at that next week. And then you find it again uh, mentioned uh, four more times in the Bible in uh, Numbers 33, verses 11 and 12. It's mentioned twice. And then Ezekiel, God has a prophecy concerning sin, the city of sin. So look out, Las Vegas. And it is, it's going to be judged. It's going to be judged. And so you can find that in Ezekiel 30, 15 through 16. And that's really the only mention of this word sin. So it, no, don't confuse it with all the other, I don't remember how many other times the word sin, S-I-N, is mentioned, but it's a different Hebrew word altogether. So uh, this is a case where you can you can only distinguish the difference here um, by looking at the etymology. And by the way, this area is also associated with Horeb. Uh, sometimes they call it Sinai Horeb as well. So the city Horeb, many think, is the same city as the city of sin. So for what it's worth, does that really matter to you this morning? Probably not, but I get into those things. So uh, Exodus 16:1 being the first mention here, the wilderness of sin in Sinai is interesting to me, though, because it is it is there's a lot of speculation out there. And I don't think a lot of it is accurate on where this is on a map. That's why often I put maps up this time. I'm not doing that. I'm going to use the Bible as my map. Uh, because what we do know about Sinai and its relationship to both sin and Elam is what was what the Bible tells us. In Galatians chapter 4, in the first century, this is what Paul said. He says that, that Mount Sinai is located in Arabia. So the location that's often shown on your maps, even in, in probably the back of my Bible, is in the middle of that Sinai Peninsula. But there's a lot of good evidence that it's actually located to the east in Arabia. Um, and so I mentioned that several sermons back. So just a, just kind of a reminder of where we are geographically, most likely east, a little further east than of the Sinai Peninsula just moving along that way towards Sinai. All right, so the movement uh, to the wilderness of sin produces murmuring, as you know, from not just one, not just two, but from the entire congregation. And if there were some people not murmuring, we don't know about it. So as far as God's concerned, everyone in the congregation is murmuring against Moses and Aaron. That's the way it's written. That's how God sees it. Uh, this this sin produced, this, this uh, movement produced murmuring from from the entire congregation now you've heard it said that good news travels fast and bad news travels faster that's right if you really want to get something to spread like wildfire just make sure it's bad news good news it's kind of a slower roll but bad news it, it moves fast through the grapevine and so god led the children of israel to the, this place of physical need to reveal their spiritual need they obviously have a spiritual need because they cannot manage this distance and this location without murmuring. So God is actually revealing to them a weakness in their own lives. And so, uh, and so we see here that, that this is what's really going on as we'll continue to read the entire text here in just a moment. So God led the children of Israel to this place because he needed them to see really where they were at. He already knew that. He didn't have to do this. He knows where they're at. But also Moses and Aaron get to see where they're at. And we also get to see how Moses and Aaron respond, which they respond very well. The children of Israel were unified in, in, in faithlessness instead of faithfulness. I don't know if you've ever been around people of faith that get unified in faithlessness. But, man, it is like a pit in your stomach, especially if you're the leader. I mean, it is like wah, wah, wah. You get all fired. Pastor Rogers not. He knows he's a pastor. You're fired up. You're going to you're going to do what God tells you to do. And you get before the people. Maybe it's the leaders or maybe it's the congregation or maybe a leader has talked in the congregation, whatever. And all of a sudden it's like can't go any further. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. We can't do that. Oh, my goodness. And the fire starts. Many a church has been slowed down, if not even destroyed. Do those kind of things. And so, and by the way, I was, as I was putting this together, I was like, man, and I almost hate to say this, but uh, we're in such a good place. <laughs> so, boom. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and so, we're such a good place as a church. So when I, there's a time in our church life, I'll just be very frank with you, where I couldn't have preached this without feeling very uncomfortable. And some of you know what I'm talking about. But I, right now, I feel great. 
about about this message. So I am so thankful to y'all for following God, loving God, loving people. And uh, you're just a wonderful church body. So now, unless you're murmuring, I don't know about it. I don't know. If you are murmuring, I don't know about it, obviously. And so uh, I have a clean conscience. So if you're murmuring, that's on you. But I feel great right now. I hope you do too. If you don't, well, take the medicine and let God get you where you need to go. So, so, so God needs the, the unity, though, to be steadfast in the faith. And, and, and this incursion into difficult place reveals they're quickly unified uh, in faithlessness. Man, that's discouraging when you're supposed to be faithful. Uh, and they were, they were complaining instead of maintaining an attitude of gratitude uh, for their salvation and an optimism that God is going to deliver them faithfully to the promised land. That's what God wanted for them. And so just 42 days earlier, God turned the bitter water to sweet. And three days before that, he opened the Red Sea and delivered them for goodness sake. What else does he need to do to prove that he is faithful in his provision? But we're just like Israel. I'm just like Israel. I mean, my memory is short. I don't, I won't remember what I did this morning, uh, this afternoon. I mean, my memory is getting shorter as I get older. And their memory was very short on all the great things that God had already done. You know the song we sing? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Oh, that's a great song. That's a deeply theological, especially when you're traveling through the wilderness of sin. Man, you need to remember your blessings because when you forget them, you'll go to murmuring before you know it. So we're just like that and we're just like Israel. So the children of Israel, they, they acted and they spoke as if God led them into the wilderness to destroy them instead of blessing them because what they saw visibly did not match their expectations internally. So because it didn't look outwardly like they wanted it to look internally, they were discouraged and began to murmur. And Exodus 16.3 says that the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye had brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's one thing to say, well, we're hungry. We'd like some food, please. We don't know where we're going to get it. It's another thing to go to the next level, to ratchet that thing up and say, hey, you brought me out here to kill me. Whoa, settle down, bozo. That's a little bit extreme. I mean, back away from the ledge. What are you talking about? I I took you through the Red Sea and I took you to uh, turn the bitter water sweet. And then I brought you to Elam to have some refreshment. And now you're telling me that I'm here to kill you. Well, that's often how you feel your first day of boot camp. But uh, that's not the truth. God is there to prepare them, not to kill them. He is taking them somewhere, remember? And he's actually taking them to a battle. And when you go to a battle, you can't be, you gotta be willing to trust your commander. Not just Moses, but the God that controls Moses. And you gotta know that when you're hungry, somehow, someway, God will provide because God keeps his promises, right? He keeps his word. So when they say, oh, you brought me out to kill me, what are you saying? God, you don't keep your word. You're a liar. Hmm. I'm just preaching, Jesus. I don't mean that. Right? You don't say that about God. He's not a liar. It's not his character at all. So out of the abundance of the heart, though, the mouth speaks, doesn't it? Matthew 12, 34, Israel was confessing their faithlessness in God's words and character. God's character cannot be disconnected from his words. That's why John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. He cannot disconnect his character from his word. So we quickly lose faith in God's good nature when, we, uh, when we're in our flesh and we're in fear that we're not going to be fed. The opposite was true of Job. Job thirteen fifteen. though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain my own ways before him. I do not care if he takes my life. We saw that, right, in Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said very clearly to the Babylonian uh, Nebuchadnezzar, well, I'm sorry, we're not going to bow here, so you can kill us now. But we're not going to go back on God's words. We, we believe his words are true, so we will be true. If God's words are true, this is what happens. Then we must be true. Because this is our nature. This is the nature he's given us through Christ. So we quickly lose faith in God's good nature when we lose faith in what God has said. Job 23:12 says, Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips... I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man, they should have put that on rewind and listened to that as they walked through the wilderness, right? That is the lesson that God needs them to have. What Job had figured out, they needed to figure out that he would, his words were more important than his necessary food. God will 
provide. He will provide. That's what God is saying. That's what Job is saying. So losing faith in God's integrity brought the children of Israel to a place of slander in God's servants. You brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Moses, you are a murderer. Oh, think about what that means to Moses. Because Moses in his flesh is what? A murderer. Those words were meant to hurt Moses. He thought he was a changed man. Hey, just let me tell you, let me tell you something. When you're a leader, man, when the devil comes at you with words, they are words to hurt you. Some of y'all that fight and bicker in your families, man, you say some of the most hateful things. Why do you do that? You use words to hurt people. Someone's opened their heart up to you. They've given, given you their whole life. There's nobody that knows me as well as Amy Joe, And I assume I don't know nobody knows Amy Joe as well as I do other than Jesus. God, that's it. So we can't be, we can't, I can't take everything I know about Jesus, or about Jesus, about Amy, and then use words to hurt her. And she doesn't do that to me. Why? Because we're a team, we're a unit, and we're under God. That's how it works. So sometimes, though, in the family, it gets so dysfunctional that the very people that you know and love, you'll take the things, the things that are trusted to you, and you'll use those things and hurt them. Man, that's what they're doing to Moses. They know Moses murdered and had to run and flee for his life and spend 40 years in the wilderness and went from being a prince and a king of of, uh, Egypt to becoming a shepherd on the backside of the desert. They knew what it cost him. They understood that. And they said, you know what? You're just a murderer, Moses. You're going to murder us out here in the wilderness like you murdered that that Egyptian back there in, in Egypt. All of a sudden, they're siding with the enemy. Man, that had to hurt Moses. But Moses was a tough a tough dude, and he loved God, and he wasn't going to let that stop him. But you know, when you read those words, that last verse there, you think, man, these boys are tough. They're mean-spirited. Our mouths are uh, utter false assertions when our hearts are not filled with faith. When we don't have the Word of God dwell, there's a reason the Word of God is like water, and we wash ourselves in the water of the Word, because we got to wash out that filthiness. We've got to wash it out and get our minds right and our hearts right so that we can speak right things. We talked about that at the men's breakfast yesterday. So God, God allows longing in our lives so he can reveal the weakness in our faith that needs to be strengthened. Now, I, I'm not saying anything this morning. Just understand me here. Be careful. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't have anyone in my mind. I'm just talking here off of what the Word of God says. But if I'm like stepping all over your last nerves, all right? This is the good news. God allows that so that you can get that corrected. He doesn't destroy Israel here. He's actually helping correct them by, by allowing them to go through this exercise so that he can show them that it's, they're the one that need to be stretched in their faithfulness, not Moses. There's no indication that Moses is lacking any faith in this, at least right here. And so, so God allows longing in our lives. He's the one who allows it. And what does it do? It reveals to us things that need to be uh, worked on, doesn't it? Areas of faith where we need to grow. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Areas where we need to believe God at his word instead of not believing him at his word. So the second thing I want you to see is that God allows longing in our lives to teach lessons. He allows these longings in our lives because he wants to teach us a lesson. Longing for things we cannot have or or, uh, have lost, man, it often teaches us valuable lessons. I I just thought of one, a fresh one just now. Uh, but I won't share that one. So I want to, but I want to, I want to share um, one of my all-time favorite movies. Do you guys have that movie clip ready? You got that. I want you to watch this movie clip. It's one of my favorite movies. Listen, what's the uh, first thing you're going to do if you make world champion? First, first thing, I, I'm going to have to go and buy some turtles. Yeah, well, well, I said to the kids when I was leaving the house this morning, I was going to bring back the title, and they thought I said turtle. <laughs> so, so naturally, I, I don't want to let them down, but if I could bring home the title and a turtle, they sure would be tickled. They you know? got that title title, right? Jim Black from Chicago Trib. Hello, Jake. It's been a while. Uh, what's changed, Jimmy? I mean, you, you couldn't win a fight for love of money, right? I mean, how, how do you explain your comeback? Well, you know, the truth is, Jake, for a number of years there, we, we was fighting injured, you know. Uh, I broke my hand. Uh, 
more than once. Uh, I got in a car accident one time. I was on the road, and I had to get that fixed. Uh, I had a run of bad luck. And uh, this time around, I know what I'm fighting for. Oh, yeah? What's that, Jimmy? Milk. All five of us, man. A great movie. So, a little background on that. The uh, the movie is about, a, it's based on a true story, a guy named James Braddock. And he was a, a boxer back in the 30s. Uh, in his, and in about 1935 or 7 or something, I got it in my notes, so I should just read it. In 1935, he won the championship, which is what that was about. He came back like Rocky Balboa, kind of, uh, from a lot of difficulty in the Depression. So he lost everything. And uh, if you ever watch the movie, it's gut-wrenching to see the sacrifices and the difficulties that he went through. Uh, there are men in this room I know that have done the very same thing for Christ's sake. And um, and, they, and it seems like they lost everything. That man gained his integrity, but he also learned something, what was important. It wasn't, it wasn't the money. It wasn't the fame. It wasn't even the title. It was milk for his children because he knew what it was like not to have what he needed to feed his children. And so every step that he made in that journey back to the top was much more precious and he was literally one scene, he's just sitting there eating a bowl of food. And uh, they, they were, they, he just won a major fight. He didn't have any money. He was literally fighting to eat. He wasn't fighting for anything else at that time. Of course, he gets rewarded eventually. But it's a very, very uh, heart-wrenching, uh, true story of a real boxer. And, and the movie uh, it was interesting. But that, that piece there where he, he knows what he's, looking, what he's longing for is really what God is doing with Israel. He's trying to teach them what they really need isn't really bread. What they really need is faith. What they really need is God to come through for his word. Beloved, I've been in my life in times where I'm I'm just desperate for God to do that. Then other times you get full and you forget. And you don't really desperately know what God has called you to be or what he wants you to do, and you lose track. And then God will often allow things to come into your life so you can get refocused, recalibrated, and get your affections, Colossians chapter 3, get your affections set on things above because we often get so focused on things below. And that's where Israel's at right now in this text. So he has some lessons to learn, and they're not always fun to learn, but it is good to learn them. So God used Israel's longing to teach Israel a lesson about his provision. That's the first lesson that he taught them. He needed to teach them about his provision. Um, and so it says there in verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they uh, will walk in my law or no. He says, hey, I'll tell you what, Moses, you don't even have to pray about this. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to take care of these people. I'm going to rain bread from heaven every day. It's miraculous. They don't even have to worry about it. They don't have to go do anything. It's coming to them. This is going to be easy. Uh, you know, I got this. So God provided, by providing for them, by the way, God provided for Moses. Whew. Moses is like, thank you, Jesus. I've been there. I know how that's like. Thank you. I'm glad you came through, Lord. Whew. And so Moses is getting taken care of. The Israel, the children of Israel is getting taken, are getting taken care of. God is communicating to and through Moses to meet the needs of both Moses and the children of Israel. And God is blessing Moses' obedience. By the way, if you are in leadership, it's important to know God always has your back, even if the entire congregation doesn't. And by the way, I don't ever feel like that at Heartland, ever. I've never felt like that here. Um, but I can't say that all pastors that I know have had that experience. Uh, and so God is blessing Moses' obedience. Uh, and so years ago, I learned this lesson actually by being a murmurer kind of sorts. At least I lost faith. Uh, I was uh, the junior high uh, youth counselor at Heartland Baptist Fellowship. Even though I was the pastor, I <clears throat> I submitted myself to the leader at the time was Tracy Sloan, and he was the high school uh, youth leader. So we go on, we go to camp. We're down at Roaring River doing our thing, and uh, or wherever we were, we were down in Joplin. It wasn't Roaring River, but anyhow, um, I can't remember the name of it. So we're down at Knoll, Missouri. That's where it's at. And so we're down there, and uh, it's it's the day to go out and go float the river. Right, this is the fun part of the trip. And so we get out there. I mean, it's just dark. It's you know, it's dark cloud. You know, when you, we all live in the Midwest, we know when it's going to rain. So there's dark clouds coming. They're surrounding us. And I'm like, you know, I think there may have been a little bit of, you know, spitting of, of some water coming down. And 
And Tracy's all lining us up and we're like, we're going to go out. And everybody's like looking around like, are we really going to do this? I mean, the adults, not, not the kids. Kids don't care. And, uh, <clears throat> oh, I'm the pastor. So what, so what does the congregation do? Well, they pulled the trump card on the leader and they go to, go to me. And the bad leader that I was, I, I, I listened to him because I agree with him. I'm kind of like, maybe we ought to reschedule this for another day. So I'm kind of on their side with this because I'm looking around and I'm like, this is actually reasonable and rational. I, maybe it would be because I'm also the pastor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm imagining what will it be like if we get on a, on a river and it starts storming? You know, these kids' lives are in our hands. And, you know, you think about all the liability and all those things, you know, that's that's also my job. So uh, I'm thinking about all of that. So I go to Trace and I say, hey, Tracy. Um, what you think about we ought to just kind of cancel this thing today maybe do it another day you know and i know i'm the pastor so kind of i could say let's do this but i'm i'm trying to work out the the lesson that i'm telling you right now i want to submit to his authority because he's the leader and you definitely don't do that in public right because he's the leader so uh and he looks at me and he and he knows because he's smart he knows people are pulling up my coat as well and he says, it's all right. God's got this. We're going to have a great time today. I'm like, okay. Sir, yes, sir. In my heart, though, I was like, no way. But you know what? You know how this story ends, don't you? We went on the river, and guess what? It's the best day ever. I mean, the weather was right. The, the clouds went away. Sun was out. I mean, it was beautiful. It was absolutely God honored his faith. I believe that to this day. God was showing me something that day as well. I was like, that's a man of faith because I needed to see that. I, I, my respect for Tracy went way up. I was like, man, what a good man. He, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. I believe in eternity he'll get rewards for that, if nothing else, for teaching me a lesson about a man of faithfulness. So it's good to be faithful and believe God's word. And when you're a leader, sometimes you're tested like that and you need to stick with God. What God gives you, go with it because uh, that's what God has you to do. Now, I will say, if I put my foot down, then that's another thing. But anyway, uh, we went with it, and God provided. Praise the Lord. And so so those are lessons you learn. You get stretched when you have needs, and, and God provides. And that day, God provided a wonderful day. God provides through Moses as the leader of your home or your ministry. God wants to provide through you. That That's why it is essential that you follow Jesus instead of the crowd. You can't be a crowd pleaser. You've got to be a God pleaser. The key to being a disciple is following Jesus, not everybody else. The lessons of, of provision are learned in, the, in, in a personal way as we walk with the Lord daily. As he meets our needs, our every need, he is able, and he will never leave us or forsake us. So God provi- uh, provided to prove Israel. I like what he says there. Now that I've provided, they are now responsible. Right? We'll talk about that more in just a second. Now that I've given them something, very free, very easy, now they are responsible. I'm going to prove them. They say they want something. Will they be a good steward of what I've given them? The bread. What will they do with the bread that I give them daily? What will they do with the meat, the quail that I give them daily? Will they use it properly or will they misuse it? Well, we'll learn about that in just a moment. But God provided, uh, provided so he could prove Israel. Even though Israel didn't deserve it, God provided for them because, well, he's good. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous, uh, have, I not, have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. He blesses his own. God blesses Israel through Moses to prove them. God is trying to develop, once again, an army. One of the things about a soldier is that they have to endure hardness without murmuring and complaining and destroying morale and unit discipline. It's very important. Second Timothy 2.3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That was spoken by Paul, the apostle, to his disciple, uh, Timothy. Because in the ministry, you have to have discipline. You have to have individual discipline, discipleship, teaching and understanding how to follow God. That must be proven. And then you have to have unit discipline. And that's what God is working out here in the children of Israel. He's showing them, look, you guys are moving as a unit. You're murmuring as a unit. Now I need you to be faithful as a unit. 
We need faithfulness, not faithlessness. So let's let's move to the next level because I'm taking you somewhere. God uses Israel's longing to teach Israel a lesson about our need to listen. Right? So important in verse 5. And, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day that they shall prepare that which they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So as he's giving them a daily portion, he says, oh, and by the way, listen carefully. On the sixth day, take in a double portion because Sunday or Saturday, Sabbath day, Saturday, you're going to need a double portion on that day of rest. And so it quickly becomes evident uh, that many of the Jews have a hearing disability. I mean, they must have been in the Iraq war. I don't know. But Exodus 16, 16, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather it every man according to his eating and Omer for uh, every man. It's about three and a half uh, liters. According to the number of your persons, take every man for them which are in the tents. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, uh, some less. And when they did meet, uh, meet it with an omer, he uh, that gathereth much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. Okay, verse 19. And, and Moses said, let no man leave it till the morning. Don't leave it on the ground. Don't leave it. Don't let it lie. You've got to consume it every day. All of it. Notwithstanding, they didn't hearken unto Moses, it says. They hearkened not unto Moses. But some of them left off of it until the morning. I'll get it tomorrow. And it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. I'll do it later. They put it off. They didn't listen. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and, and the sun waxed hot and it melted. And it came to pass on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, uh, two omers for one man, just as he was commanded. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which uh, you will bake today, and see that you will see, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. So he's like, hey, take in the meat and the manna and bake it and, uh, and boil it and get it all ready for tomorrow. Double portion it. So tomorrow you can pull it out of the fridge, which they didn't have, and you can eat that. Right? And so, no big deal. Verse 24, And they laid it up till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there a worm therein. They learned to listen. And Moses said, Eat that today, for t- today is the Sabbath unto the Lord. Now it's Sabbath day. Everybody's learned their lesson. Everybody's listening now. Everybody's got it. But not everybody's got it. Six days, verse 26, shall you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath in there, shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. What? Have they not been paying attention? Do they not read the bulletin? I mean, come on. How many times can we put it in the announcements? I mean, we don't need to go out on the Sabbath day. And yet some went out. And they violated the Sabbath, number one, uh, because they were working to get food. God had provided. They were messing up God's picture of rest in the millennial reign of Christ, although they didn't understand that yet. And they were disobedient because they weren't listening or they were greedy and wanted more. I don't know. We don't, we're not told the details of that, but we know they didn't obey. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? You know what God didn't do? He didn't, he didn't like come on down here and say, hey, oh, David. How come you're not, you forsaken the first day of assembling together on the first day of the week? I mean, come on. I mean, Pastor Reuben, you didn't read your Bible. What is wrong with you? He didn't do that. The Holy Ghost didn't, not that you didn't do that. So, uh, so the Holy Ghost didn't like, like he does with us, like personally come and convict. You know what he did? He went to Moses. Moses isn't the guy that went out on Sabbath, Right? Another leadership lesson. This is a great lesson day with this message. So when you're the leader, guess who's responsible? The leader. Even if you didn't do it, you take responsibility. Boy, I tell you, guys, growing up in the, in the construction business was the best thing ever, especially in the union construction world. Because you had to manage jobs, get them in on time and under budget. But you know what? I couldn't, I literally, when I needed to, at least I wasn't supposed to, go out and work with my own hands 
to balance a job because I'm going over budget. You had to depend on other people to keep you, get your job in under budget. You had no real control. You know what I did a lot as a project manager? What do you think? Oh, I worked, yeah. Pray. Yeah, Amy knows. Oh, Lord, help. These guys can fry my hide. I mean, literally. So I pray, God, that these men are men of integrity and they will take care of this business because if they don't, I'm going to hang for it. Because I can't go out and I don't have tools to do it and I don't, can't go out and do it if I want to. I'm responsible, however. It's a great lesson for being a, a pastor. That's what Moses is learning, right? Moses is also learning. God says, I'm going to prove Israel. And by the way, Moses, why didn't Israel do what I told them to, say, to do? You need to run another bulletin announcement, son. No, I don't know. It's a good lesson there. It's true, isn't it? First Corinthians chapter 12. We all affect one another. All the body parts are important. And we all got to do what we're called to do. So see that the Lord hath, in verse 29, see that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. Therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread for two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. He says it again. He repeats himself. So the people rested on the seventh day. You know what Moses did? He repeated what was already true. Because repetition is the price of learning. So you hear my old stories, I repeat them over and over. And you hear the same verses, I repeat them over and over. Why? Because repetition, teachers, is the price of learning. You've got to repeat things or we'll forget because we forget so quickly. It's clear that the children of Israel were stubborn and self-willed, at least many of them. And they had, to, they had wax in their ears. So the pictures are important here. Let me run through some pictures here before I move on to the next lesson. We need to, a daily provision of God's word, daily. That we eat it daily to maintain our physical strength and health, physical food. We also need spiritual food. We need to take God's word in daily to keep our spiritual strength and health. Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Selah, rest. Man, he loads us up. Matthew six eleven. you know this, Sermon on the Mount. Give us this day our daily bread. Where do you think that came from? It came from here. Give us this day our daily bread. Like Mephibosheth in the Old Testament, a great king, David, what did he do? He took a man that was lame on his feet, was the, was the, the son of Jonathan, right? He couldn't provide for himself. He sits him in the court, one of Saul, and he's named. This is my enemy's son. This is Saul's, uh, one of Saul's descendants. He's going to sit in my court, and every day I'm going to load him up with benefits, and I'm going to give him food, even if he turns on me. Or it's reported that he turned on him, but he didn't. So we need to get, we need to get, uh, we need not get greedy, we only need the, the portion, an omer, that God has provided, right? Give, we just get what God gives us. You know what the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 8? And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. You don't need it all. You need what God has provided. God needed his people to trust him for their daily provision. They didn't have to worry about the next day or the next five days, just the next day until the Sabbath, or until the day before Sabbath. So don't get lazy. And leave God's word on the ground. I'll get it tomorrow. Every day be in the word of God. Don't grow greedy and try to get so much that you can't digest it. Take time to really process what God has given you so that you can learn what God is saying to you. And make sure that that portion can be used today uh, so that God can, can bless your life. An omer, by the way, is three and a half liters, seven, uh, 3.7 quarts per person. I don't know why that matters, but I had to throw that in there. So we need to take bread <clears throat> uh, while we get it. Every, even after learning the lesson of not allowing manna to lay on the ground, many didn't listen and they went out to, and they didn't take up a double portion. And so what a tremendous picture for the Christian to not to take lightly what God has given us today. So many Christians in America do not really appreciate what we have. And I'm talking about the Bible. I ain't talking about wealth and all of that. I'm talking about the words of God. And it is time to make hay. This is time. The fields are wide unto harvest. It is time to take the word of God and do with it what God has given it to us to do, which is to digest it and go to work and go somewhere with it. He wants us to do that. Why? Because the millennium is right around the corner. It is the sixth day in a dispensational sense. This is the sixth day. The seventh day is coming. And you know what's going to happen on that seventh day? It will be evidently manifest. 
what you did with this manna on that seventh day. If you get lazy, you take it for granted, you leave it rotten on the ground, you, you get greedy with it, you misuse it, you manipulate it for other purposes other than what God intended for it, it will be manifest at the rapture. When we get caught up and stand at the judgment seat of Christ, God will make it known. And some will be naked. Some will be embarrassed. And in the millennium, it will be evident. In that seventh day, it'll be evident. Oh, beloved, we need to be careful. Second Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5.1 says, We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, and it will be, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And we know that that's going to to get from here to there. We go through the judgment seat of Christ. And everyone's works will be made manifest. And it will be evident what we did with the manna that God gives us every day. And I'm not just saying that to you. I'm, this is conviction for me. As I was looking at this, I was like, man, Lord, help me to be faithful, not faithless. What are you believing God's word for today? The admonition to the church in Revelation 3, 17 through 19 is that we be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not in the riches of this world. I mean, he makes that very, very, very clear. There will be a many Christian who is who is invested in the wood and the hay and the stubble only to find it burned to the judgment seat of Christ. While they had the opportunity in this day, the sixth day, to to gather up the word of God, to invest in things that are eternal. What do they do? They blow it. And they invest it in the earth, the things of this ground, instead of the hearts of men, the soil that God is really interested in. The seed doesn't go to the right place. Or it's left in the barn. Beloved, we need to remember the words of God. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, you know what the the word of God says about the folks in, in, uh, um, in Berea? It says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness. You know, like Travis Kelsey is ready to receive that ball. Yeah, you know him. And, uh, and so you need to be ready to receive the words of God. The Bereans were ready to receive the word of God. They were not only ready to receive it, it goes on to say with all readiness of mind. And they searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. They proved it out. They, they digested it. They took it in. They, they understood. They believed the word of God and its authority that it was true. So if we don't have a daily reading plan, practically speaking, man, get on the program and get in the word of God. There's a billion ways to do it. I just read through my Bible. Just, I don't have a systematic plan. I just go through it. Every two years, I'm done. And I keep going through it. Been doing that for 30-some years now. I love it. It's my daily bread. The little devotions and stuff you see is overflow from the daily bread that you get from getting in the word of God. Exodus chapter 16, verse 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like a coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Uh, chapter Proverbs 16, 24 says that, that, that the, the words of God are pleasant words as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, health to the bones. Proverbs 27, 7 says the full soul loatheth a honeycomb. The Bible's like the honeycomb. But the hungry soul, to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So you know what that's telling us in Proverbs 27, 7? Man, make sure you work off what you put in. That's also a problem we have here in the U.S. It's not, we can gather up the information, we can eat it, but we don't work it off. You got to go to work. You got to get rid of that. That's why God gives you that provision so you can do something with it. Otherwise, you'll get full and your soul will start to loathe the honeycomb. I don't know about y'all, I love sweets. I have to stay away from them. I love them so much. But when I've been off the sweets, I mean, you give me just a little bit of sugar. You give me a granola bar. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> it's beautiful to my, my taste buds. But you know what I can do because I love sweets? I can sit there and eat sh- chocolate and sugar and sugar and sugar and sugar and bread and sugar and some more sugar and then some ice cream on top of that sugar. Amen. I love it. I'm addicted to that stuff. But you know what? After a while, that Hershey bar just ain't sweet enough. You know, you get full of it. And you don't you don't even appreciate it. Why? Because you're not doing anything with it. You're not burning those calories. You're not working it off. You're not hungry. That movie clip I showed you, that man was hungry, like physically hungry. Beloved, we need to be hungry. We'd be hungry to do what God has called us to do, to know he's taken us somewhere, to get our lives in order, to put the word of God in our lives and make it profitable for him. Burn off all the dross, get down to business and serve God with the whole heart. 
He needs disciplined disciples. Not lazy people sitting around soaking it up, taking it in, relaxing by the, the oasis of Elam. They had 30 days of vacation. That's enough. Now get back to work. We got to go to war. You understand what I'm saying? I mean it. So God used Israel's longing to teach Israel a lesson about our need to submit to authority. Exodus 16, 6. And Moses and Aaron said unto the children of Israel at even, Then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. Children, you need to know this isn't about Moses. This is not about Aaron. This is about the Lord. He is the one that has delivered you. And, verse 7, In the morning then ye shall see the glory of the Lord. There's good things coming. God has good things for you. He wants to know you personally for that. He heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And by the way, when you talk bad about Moses and you're talking bad about Aaron, you're talking bad about me, the Lord, not me. I'm not the Lord, but the Lord. That's what that's what's going on there in verse six and seven. And what and what are we that ye murmur against us? Moses is saying we're nothing. You call me a murderer. Guess what? I am. But by God's grace, I'm now your leader. And when you have a problem with that, you have a problem with God. And Moses said, this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, that's the quail, and in the morning bread to the full, that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. So Moses is careful to be gracious to them, and he repeats himself very quickly and says, listen, just in case you missed it the first time across, let me tell you once more. When you murmur against me, you murmur against the Lord. Beloved, I can tell you too many times I've murmured against the Lord. Because I don't like the president, or I don't like the preacher, or I don't like this or that. Mm -mm. Amy and I got really convicted about that before we moved to Harrisonville. Uh, because we were, we knew we were going this direction and, and we were around people who liked to take the pastor and dice him up every night after Sunday night after church. And we were sitting around a restaurant one time and they were just talking smack on the pastor. And Amy and I were already uncomfortable with it. We were like, like, we didn't like it. And it was you that said something, wasn't it? What did you say? I don't remember. Did you take it up with him? I think is what you said. So my wife says, Hey, did you talk to Pastor Jeff about that? And, man, you could have heard a pin drop. Bing! I'm like, man, I should, I should have manned up and said that. My wife was a better man than me that day. And you know what? If they don't want to go to dinner anymore, that's their problem. But I was starting to appreciate. I knew that if we sat around and let that go on, man, it was grievous. Even if I agreed, it was grievous. Why? Because that wasn't murmuring against Pastor Jeff. That was murmuring against the Lord. The Lord. If it's true, whatever it is, I don't even know. What, who's going to be judged for it? Yeah, he will. He'll get. God knows how to spank his kids too. So I should be praying. If it's true, have mercy. Because if you're as hard on him as you are on me, man, I'm in. I, I don't. I don't want that spanking. Give him some mercy. I don't even know what that all was about, but I do remember the incident. And I said, hmm, might be time for some new friends. So if you don't have a daily reading plan, you need one. You need to make sure that you're under God's authority uh, in his word, and you'll be under the authority of others. i got to keep moving. The case uh, of Moses and Aaron, he made this, this uh, uh, he, he, he placed them over the, his people as deliverers, not despots. So God really has patience with Moses, and he's done nothing but help the children of Israel from the first day of his calling till now. There's really no, there's no, uh, there's no stick to the claim that he's out there to murder him. In ministry and life, when God places you in a position of authority, you recognize that many who have a problem with God will have a problem with you. That's another leadership lesson. There's going to be people that have a problem with God, and they'll have a problem with you. And it, just in case we have forgotten it, Jesus told us that. Himself In John chapter 15 and verse 18, he says, the world, uh, if the world hates you, doesn't say they will, but if they hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Because you identify with the Lord, sometimes the world will hate you is what he's saying. And you all know that it's getting more and more evident. So the most painful thing you will experience in this life is when those who are supposed to love God hate you. That is gut-wrenching. 
When those that, that are supposed to love God end up hating you. I mean, that's hard for Moses. These are supposed to be God's chosen people. They are the son, Israel of God. And, and yet they turned on Moses. That's tough. And boy, I'm so glad I'm in a good place or I couldn't probably even preach this. But Paul said this in his own way to the Corinthians, to the contentious Corinthians, people who he had invested in and invested in and invested in. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15, he says, he says, and I will gladly, Paul said, uh, he said, I will gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The more I put in, the less I get out. But you know what? I will give everything. Where did Paul get that kind of heart? He got it from Jesus. That's the heart that God has. Because all of our supply is in him. I'm telling you, beloved, that will fix your relationship problems. When you love unconditionally. Because that's the kind of love that God has for you. If you're rebelling against people who love you, who want your best, you're certainly rebelling against God. So be careful who you... who. Uh, 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 who you rebel against if it's your parents right that's your family your pastor that's your church if it's the civil government that's the those are the three main powers that god's put in your life the the family the the church and the civil government you start rebelling you know what happens when you rebel against those you rebel against your family then you get mad and say oh mom and dad can't they don't know anything i'm going to go to the military <laughs> right and then you learn that's not a good place to go Right. And, and you rebel against uh, you rebel against the church. Right. You, oh, I'm leaving the church. I, I can't submit. OK. Then the, ne- the only thing left is civil government. Then you get out here doing your own thing, driving them 100 miles an hour and you hit us hit something and they come and take you and arrest you because you're getting out of control. And you think you're rebelling against the man and you think you're rebelling against religion and you think you're rebelling against your mommy and your daddy. But really, you're rebelling against God. and He's trying to tell you, stop. Submit, because John Cougar Mellencamp said, you can fight authority, but authority always wins. That's right. And man, God provided this quail. In the evening and the morning, God is gracious and and he overlooks their youthful disobedience and he provides a balanced diet as a pattern for living. Carbs in the morning, protein in the evening. Work in the middle and rest at night. Their sleep was sweet because they labored. They had the protein they needed for their muscles to, to grow at night. They had the carbs they needed, the sweets they needed in the day to go, go, go. And he gave them a balanced diet. Beloved, I really encourage you to have a balanced diet in this book. Man, if, if how that works out for me, I need a devotional meat. I need a devotional treat in the morning, man. I like to get something sweet that I can... I can take with me on the road a proverb, something that I can remember. A lot of the times what you see on Facebook is just a proverb, a thought, something I can meditate on. And then there's times I need doctrine. I don't mean just a little bit of sweets to eat. I mean, I, gotta, I, gotta, I want to lay out the millennium. I want to look at the seven dispensations. Man, I want to dig into something. That's some meat, right? You need some, pro, you need some protein to sleep on, and you need, some, you need some carbs to run on. You need inspiration, but you also need doctrine. You need them both. To be strong and be ready for battle every day. So God uses Israel's longings to teach Israel a lesson on following God's instructions obediently. That's very clear. We, we covered that. In verses 9 through 14, it says, And Moses spake unto Aaron, saying to all the congregation, the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it will come to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, they, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, Even, at, even uh, ye shall eat the flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Ultimately, God was taking them somewhere, and that was to a position of obedience to God Almighty. And it came to pass that at the even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew, uh, the dew that lay was gone up, Behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as a hoarfrost on the ground. So God was very clear to, the, to, to call their complaints murmurings. God's response, however, was blessings and a burden that they needed to pick up his blessings every day. And it's important that we do that. Get it in a routine. Make sure that you get what God has for you every day. God provides his word so that we can obey it. And eventually the manna will cease, right? There's only for a season. You've got to learn to feed yourself. In Joshua chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, And the manna ceased 
on the morrow after that day. This is as they're getting ready to, to take Jericho. Now they've entered the promised land. They cross the Jordan. They're ready to take Jericho and the manna ceases. Little commercial for HBF. You know what we do here at HBF? We take people that are children like the nation of Israel who can't provide for themselves. People like I was when I became a Christian. I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. I didn't know anything about the Bible. But you know what? I knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he was patient with me. And the church was patient with me. And God invested in me. And I learned to be disciplined. I learned to follow God. I learned to read my Bible. I learned to obey. Children, obey. It's the first command with promise. That's what we got to do. And as you learn to obey, as you learn to pick up the bread that God has for you, as you, as you eat that quail, as you take the sweet and you take the bitter, and as you, as you meditate on the deeper things, as you, you work out the, the sweet things, you know what happens over time? You become responsible. And before you know it, you are doing what God tells you to do. You are where God tells you to be. You're doing everything God says you should do. You are fit for the battle. You're in Ephesians chapter 6 now, and you've got the whole armor of God on, and you are no longer just a child. You're no longer just a servant. You're not just responsible for a few things in ministry. God has called you out, and God is calling some of you there right now. And he wants you to grow up, and he wants you to be mature, and he wants to say, listen, it's time for you to take responsibility for the precious promises of this book, for the seven mysteries that I've given you. It is your job to steward these to the next generation. You are grown up now. Go to work. Go to battle. Get ready to go. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in the military, does it? You got to go into boot camp. They got to break you down. They got to teach you that you depend on them. But then they give you responsibility. You got 20 year old men flying jets all over the place. You got, you got young men running submarines. You got men half my age or younger running, commanding groups of men. Why? Because they're disciplined. Because they know their mission, because they're focused, because they have learned to be obedient to what their command is. And that is, beloved, what God has called the church to do. And in the United States of America, we are weak because we have gotten focused on the wrong things instead of the right thing, which is the manna, the word of God. It's important that we learn these lessons, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, because it all boils down to obedience And God used Israel's longing to teach Israel a lesson about remembrance. He ends the chapter and he says this. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded. Fill an omer to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it upon, uh, laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came into the borders of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth part of an ephah. You know what that is there in verse thirty-six? It's a tithe. God makes us understand that it's a tenth part of an ephah. And so He says you need to take a tenth part. Of this ephah, and I want you to give it back. I want you to lay it up. And so they do that as a memorial. Moses takes an omer, about a tenth of an ephah, and he, he takes this picture of a tithe. Each Sunday morning, we give back to the Lord. We're going to do that in just a minute. And it's a reminder of what Abraham did before the law. Abraham was given tithes to Melchizedek, giving back to the Lord, because the Lord is worthy. He's the one that gives us all blessings. We give some because God gave all. We give some because God gave all. And this remembrance is is to be generational. When the scripture says Aaron laid it up before the testimony, it's implying that he put it in the ark of the testimony, in the tabernacle, become part of the worship, just like what we do on Sunday. We lay up on the first day of the week, as as Paul wrote. Along with Aaron's rod and the tablet, the children of Israel would remember this omer and the manner in which God used it to feed them and take care of them in their daily provision long after they grew up and went into the promised land. We're still talking about it today. Why? Because we need to remember the provision that God has given us from his word. And I'm way over, but I want to finish up here. God allows longing in our lives to reveal his love. I don't have time, but if you had time to go back and look at John six, forty-one through 58, you would see this. You would see that Jesus Christ comes to the children of Israel, the leaders, the people who knew the Bible. And he says to them, 
I'm the bread of life. And he uses the analogies that we're talking about right here, the pictures. He pulls the pictures out. And he says, I'm the manna. And the Jews say, what? You know what they did when they heard that? The Bible says in John chapter 6 and verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not again among yourselves. They began to murmur. Jesus came to his own. His own received him not. Moses was trying to lead these people, but they wouldn't go. God had to intervene. The difference in the story, of course, as you know, is that Jesus, it goes on to say in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they're dead. But if you eat of me, you live forever. You live forever. And the difference between Moses and the difference between Jesus. Jesus is, Jesus, Moses represents the law. Jesus represents God's grace, his love. What the law couldn't do, Jesus did do. No man can keep the law but one man. That man is Jesus. And he could rightly judge every one of us and condemn us to hell, but instead he chose to obey the Father. When he had no justification, he had every justification to not go to the cross. Instead, he went to the cross and became a sacrifice for us so that we could receive his sacrifice and become the bread of life. So when we commemorate him, we remember that he is the bread of life and his blood was spilled. Why? As we talked about the Passover, because he is the manna. I'm not saying that. That's what Jesus said. He says, this is the bread which came down. This is verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are all dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Manna is a picture of Jesus, who is the bread of life. We don't have to guess about that. Jesus said it. Murmuring against God is still a problem of rebellion and an indication of our own wicked hearts. And manna can save our soul. Our manna cannot save our soul, but Jesus Christ can. And so this morning, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice has received Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. He's better than manna. He's better than the law because he fulfilled the law. When we can't keep the rules, he's already kept them for us. When we, need, when we deserve judgment, he gives us grace. And God is calling all men everywhere to repent and receive this great love and this great gift. And I pray today that you know him. And if you know him, then I encourage you to follow him and learn the lessons that he has for us from this book. Because God leads us into longing so that he can teach us lessons about his love. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity just to, to swim around in your word. And